Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Food when I was growing up was not super sophisticated, if you know what I mean. You know, I, I grew up on a council estate just outside Bradford, and to get this little taste of what someone in Paris might be having for lunch, I found really exciting. I was frightened to eat olives for years because I just assumed they were not for the likes of me. There's something quite restricting about having to go for a meal on a first date. You are bound, really, by the rituals of you know, getting a starter, then a main course, then a pudding, you know, if you're really unlucky. What they choose to eat can decide the direction of the rest of the date, really. If anything, the most romantic thing about food is just, you know, nipping off to a little place just for the hell of it or cooking something together. To let someone into your world and let them know, you know, let them see how you live and what you really eat can be quite a big step. I'm author and journalist Laura Price, and you're listening to Life in Food, inspiring stories in bite-sized pieces. Each week, I interview a different guest about how food has helped them through some of their biggest challenges. With a different theme each week, we look at everything from food and love to food and family, food and friendship, and even food and grief. This week's episode is food and dating, and my guest is certainly an expert in the subject. For the best part of a decade, Justin Myers was an anonymous blogger who went under the name of The Guy Liner, writing about his experiences of dating. He wrote a column for the Gay Times for five years, and he now has a hilarious and insightful weekly column for GQ, with articles on everything from dick pics and dating green flags, to a handy guide to whether you're giving your partner the ick. In 2017, he outed himself as Justin Myers in order to publish his first novel, The Last Romeo. He went on to publish his second novel, The Magnificent Sons, in the summer of 2020, and his third book, The Fake Up, is out now, a week ahead of my own novel, Single Bald Female. Justin has been dubbed the master of the modern-day rom-com, and having read all of his novels, I can honestly say it's true. The Fake Up is such a warm, cheeky, uplifting story, and it's absolutely hilarious too. Justin and I met nearly 10 years ago when we were both blogging for the Huffington Post. Justin was publishing The Guy Liner and I was writing about my cancer experiences and wrote a post called Single Bald Female, which actually sparked the idea for my novel. We're both from Yorkshire, Justin is from Shipley and I'm from Shepley, and we've both gone on to write novels, so we have quite a lot in common, including today's subject, which is food and dating. Justin, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to Life in Food. Oh, thank you very much for having me. It's exciting to be here. Tell us about your new novel, The Fake Up. What's the premise and why did you decide to write it? 
Well, it's about a couple called Dylan and Flo who are very much in love, but the world seems to be against them. Um, their friends don't really support the relationship. Uh, Flo's parents certainly don't support the relationship. And they have various barriers, including money worries. And just from very different backgrounds, Flo is uh, quite a privileged young lady who grew up in Leafy Chiswick, whereas Dylan grew up on a council estate in Leeds. And the only thing that really unites them is their aspirations to one day be famous, maybe more well-known or recognised for their creativity, perhaps. Dylan is an aspiring actor and Flo is a singer-songwriter who sings into her YouTube channel night after night. And why did I write it? Well, I was quite inspired by the singer Adele, bizarrely, who, when she got divorced or when her divorce was announced, there were lots of comments on social media about, oh, great, now she can write another Heartbreak album. And I was really fascinated by how you are restricted by the image that people have you and the the stuff that makes up your work. Adele's kind of work is all about her heartbreak and ended relationships. And she was in a happy relationship for her third album. And there was a, I sensed a general excitement that she was going to be miserable again for this, uh, for any, you know, oncoming work. And so I, I got me, it really inspired me to think about what might happen if you had to pretend to be something else in order to succeed. And, um, that's how it came about, really. I also wanted to um, see what it was like writing a rom-com, because even though my first two novels have been called romantic, and they are definitely comedies, um, I really wanted to write a, a proper rom-com and, and see see how it went. It's difficult, by the way. <laughs> well, I think it went really well. I, I, oh, I really love this, and I, I, I think it's going to do really well. But one thing I was intrigued about was the protagonists of your first two books were in gay or bisexual relationships. You've obviously got gay relationships in this book as well, but was there a reason why you went for a, a heterosexual relationship here? Well, I've always wanted to write science fiction. <laughs> <laughs> um, to be quite honest with you, it was it was to, the story demanded it, I think. Um, it does have, uh, slightly spoilerific, but it does have quite a, a prominent gay storyline in it. But um, for the for the story to work about them pretending, because basically they pretend to uh, break up uh, so that their friends and family will leave them alone. I just thought that for the main story, it worked better if they were straight, that's all. And... Um, I thought it'd be really interesting to, to write about a different dynamic. But there is a heavy, uh, heavy, a prominent gay storyline in it. And there's gay issues are spoken of uh, throughout. There's a, a few gay characters in there that keep up, keep up the rainbow representation, I suppose. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and such wonderful characters throughout this book as well. I just loved all of them. Um, would you like to do as a short reading from the book, please? Yes. So because this is a podcast about food, I thought I would read a short, very short piece from a dining scene. So as I've already said, Flo's family are kind of against the match. And one of the rituals that poor Dylan has to endure is a monthly Sunday dinner round at his potential mother-in-law's. Uh, the mother-in-law is called Joy and she is a very proper uh, woman from West London. Uh, so excuse my West London accents, I'm afraid I can't do them. Uh, but this is just a short scene where... Um, Joy is about to serve up roast lamb to Dylan and the rest of the family. Out came the main course. 
A huge joint of lamb, Joy's masterpiece. Flo's heart sank, and not just because her announcement at age 17 that she was vegan had been roundly ignored. Over the years, Flo had tried to persuade her mother that Dylan's habit of taking ketchup with every meal was not a sign of the imminent collapse of society. After months of hissing sotto voce in the kitchen while Dylan waited in the dining room oblivious, Joy had finally allowed Flo to place a small silver bowl of ketchup in front of Dylan for his main course. Naturally, it had its own special spoon. Seriously, where the hell did she find all this niche cutlery? Lamb days, however, were very different. Joy's lamb always came with the sauce, the recipe for which had been in Joy's family since the Norman Conquest and tasted like it had actually been stirred with the arrow that had punctured King Harold's eye. To Joy, the sauce was holy, and to take anything else with your lamb was, in turn, sacrilege. Dylan had encountered the sauce a few times before, and it had always gone down like a cup of cold sick. He looked down at his plate, then up at Flo, then stared at the space where the ketchup would normally be. Joy passed the jug to Dylan without a word. He peered inside it. Toby's back from Johannesburg, said Joy. I saw his mother. That engagement didn't work out. Flo watched Dylan pretending to cut some lamb that she knew he wouldn't be able to chew, let alone swallow, without his ketchup. They never do with Toby, Mum. That's the third since we split up. Some might say it's because he never got over you. Flo kept her eyes on Dylan, moving food round his plate like a toddler. More likely that his girlfriends worked out his phone's passcode and found filthy sext from women he met in bars, just like I did. Dylan, you all right? Dylan gulped down his lamb like he was swallowing a house brick. Yes, I'm fine. Toby's mother says his wine business is really taking off, said Joy. She's so proud. Oh, sod this, muttered Flo, reaching for her bag and fishing out two sachets of ketchup, which she tossed across the table to Dylan. There you go, monsieur. Her mother's face was a picture. This would ruin her evening, and Flo wasn't exactly sorry about that. Toby's mother is delusional, mum. He moved to Johannesburg because he'd fleeced everyone who knew him and sunk the cash into his shonky plonk company. The only thing Toby can't get over is that he never managed to get my pin out of me. Oh, thank you so much. That was brilliant. And you were West London or your posh accent was was uh, spot on. By the I could have gone posher, but I didn't want to uh, <laughs> anger the upper classes. <laughs> so this episode of Life in Food is called Food and Dating. And you're obviously something of a dating guru, even though you're now in a relationship, I must say. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm in a similar situation myself, having spent a good 10 years online dating before meeting my boyfriend. And it's something that features in my novel as well. So a huge part of the early dating experience is often going on meals. Um, In the years when you were dating, what was your approach to eating meals on dates? I don't like it. Um, I think eating in front of someone is quite an intimate thing and far too intimate for a first date, definitely. I, I did... Um, sometimes have to go on a on a food date for a first date but if I could I would avoid it I think there's something quite restricting about having to go for a meal on a first date you are bound really by the rituals of you know getting a starter then a main course then a pudding you know if you're really unlucky and if you can't stand them just as you're putting your starter away then you're trapped for the rest of the meal so I'd always preferred a couple of um, very casual drinks in the first instance And then even if you do enjoy the date and you enjoy the meal, you've then got to face their rather gross, potentially, eating habits. So mouth open, loud chewing, spilling food down their front and then scooping it up with their fingernail and eating it. Um, Gosh, yeah, even just thinking about it kind of makes me want to heave. Um, 
and also what they choose to eat can decide the direction of the rest of the date, really. So if they are eating onions, it's usually a pretty good sign that they're not interested in you. Although I have to say, I have beaten that curse many times, but definitely uh, when one guy, um, he had a burger for our first date while I sat there demurely eating a salad. And um, when the meal was over, we did kiss. And unfortunately, he left me a present. He left some onion behind in my mouth. It didn't deter me, by the way. We still went home together. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) We'd gone that far, you know. Fair enough. Um, So that was obviously, well, maybe that was a good experience. But um, did you ever have... (laughs) <laughs> did you ever have a, a food experience with someone where it determined whether you stayed dating them in a good way? In a good way. I think that there are little things that can help you endear you to somebody. And it's not necessarily with the eating, but the, the, the approach to food, I suppose. I quite like it when a man or anyone, I suppose, trusts you and asks you for recommendations, maybe, or has very good uh, table manners. I've, I've not really met many people with terrible table manners apart from like toddlers, but just someone who knows how to handle themselves is very nice to waiters uh, when need be, but will raise concerns when it is necessary to raise concerns. Won't pour the wine for you. One of my pet hates is someone pouring wine for me. I don't like that. Thank you very much. I don't drink at all anyway now anymore, but back in the day, I didn't like my drinks being poured for me. I like to control that myself. Thank you. Just a, a, a relaxed appropriate attitude to food can endear me to somebody i'm very much with you on the being nice to waiters and serving staff like that is just such a huge red flag if someone is like rude to to wait staff isn't it i guess we often the things that might be a turn off on a date in terms of eating and drinking are the gross stuff like you said like with the onions or eating with bad table manners but actually i think it can sometimes be food snobbery as well because I I went on a date with someone once who was a real wine snob and went back and forth with the sommelier about a hundred times before he even um, engaged in conversation with me and I was really turned off by that have you ever had any experiences with guys who were just total food snobs yeah I can't stand that kind of behavior because nobody's impressed by it I'm never quite sure why they pull this kind of stuff out the bag the waiting staff don't love you for it And whoever you're on a date with will just think that you're being a dick, surely. I think just knowing how to behave yourself in a restaurant is a really important quality that more men should learn. Um, What are the best and worst foods to eat on an early date or a first date? And are there any absolute no-nos when it comes to food and dating? Well, you know, experience has told me that maybe onions are best avoided. Noodles, because you'll get them all down your front. And it's very hard to eat noodles with dignity, unless you're both doing it and you don't care. Um... Eating an ice cream on a date can be a rather concerning window into what their oral sex technique might be like. So (laughs) if you don't want to brave that, then avoid the ice cream. Good things to eat on a date, I suppose. um, I don't know, something that will be light on your stomach just in case things get heavy later on. True. No pasta, don't do pasta. Oh, I've I've obviously committed some no-nos. I'm one of those people who who likes a good meal. Um, (laughs) And what about when you settle into a relationship? How does the dynamic with food change then? I suppose um, you get the pleasure of cooking for one another, which is quite quite an intimate thing, isn't it, really? Because we all have different cooking abilities and sometimes cooking is just a confidence thing, isn't it? And to let someone into your world and let them know, you know, let them see how you live and what you really eat can be quite a big step. 
Um, I think there's something quite nice about being cooked for uh, by a man, by anyone. Um, yeah, it's definitely an in- intimacy thing, I think, cooking for one another. And also there's that joy you get from having favorite restaurants, like developing a routine together, the places you go, and also trying new things together, trying things you know you will like or discovering things together. It's quite a bonding experience, isn't it, food, uh, in any kind of relationship. But I think it's funny to me that, you know, a first date in a restaurant is seen as the height of romance or having Valentine's Day in a restaurant because you feel you should is supposed to be hugely romantic. But in fact, if anything, the most romantic thing about food is just, you know, nipping off to a little place just for the hell of it or cooking something together. He says, someone who has never cooked anything with my boyfriend ever. But just imagining in my head as a rom-com writer, that must be lovely. (laughs) Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. So tell me about your relationship with food. Do you not cook at all? And does, does your boyfriend cook for you? Are you a fussy eater? I wouldn't say I was a fussy eater. I can be semi-adventurous. Um, I do cook... Um, but we've been quite time poor these days. I mean, I'm not quite at the Pearson Ping microwaving everything stage. But, you know, I will say that I lean quite heavily on MS's boxed foil tray ranges sometimes. But I, I like to make a, a Sunday dinner from nothing. During lockdown, actually, I, I got more into cooking. I used to use cooking as a stress reliever when I got in from work. Uh, but now I work from home. So the the drive to do it is probably less there than it was because by the time I finished work, the last thing I want to be doing is standing in the same room, basically uh, just cooking. So I kind of have regular meals that I cook sometimes on, you know, on certain nights. Thursdays are a very busy day for both of us for work. So that's sausage night. Oh, no. with, <laughs> Not with a <mash>? euphemism. <laughs> uh, it depends. Yeah. with uh, There is a potato involved, usually. Uh, it depends how... Um, 
busy the day's been, whether I've got time to peel potatoes or not, or whether we're talking clanking baking tray. Uh, and I love to make a Sunday dinner, as I said. Yeah. Love that. With Yorkshire pudding. Always. Always, we, no matter what the meat is, always a Yorkshire pudding. And are there any, I guess, well, uh, uh, Sunday roast is a particular childhood thing, but are there any food memories from your childhood that have changed the way you eat in your adulthood? Yes. Well, I would say that food when I was growing up was not super sophisticated. Uh, you know, my mom would make stews and um, pies and shepherd's pie and all that kind of thing and sausages with mash, that kind of thing. Uh, salads in summer, but it wasn't super sophisticated. And I think I got my first taste of what life could be like when in a home economics lesson, for some reason, it was, must have been a French themed lesson. And I tried French onion soup and croissants for the first time, not at the exact same time, I hasten to add. Well, it was a bit of a revelation, I suppose. And it started off what was a, what's been almost a, a lifelong um, pretentiousness. When it comes to uh, certain things, definitely, uh, you know, quite affected. I um, I was fascinated by this soup that you couldn't get anywhere. I think what you attracted me to these things is that back then you couldn't really get this kind of stuff just everywhere. Croissants were not found in Asda in the, you know, the mid 80s. I don't know where my French teacher, uh, the teacher had gotten from actually. So it made me kind of a Francophile and it made me want to try new things because I really enjoyed that feeling of being a little bit sophisticated, of being a little bit not who I had been, if you know what I mean. You know, I, I grew up on a council estate just outside Bradford and to get this little taste of what someone in Paris might be having for lunch, I found really exciting, uh, but it also made me unbearable for the rest of my teenage years because I started to acquire sophisticated tastes. Did you end up going to France a lot then? I went to France um, on a French exchange when I was about 14 for the first time and I was obsessed with it, absolutely uh, obsessed with it. But um, no, I didn't go a lot a lot as a child because we couldn't afford it. But um, when I was older, funnily enough, my best friend moved to Paris and married a Frenchman. So I, I went as often as I could. Oh, nice. Love, love a bit of French food. So yeah, this kind it. of ties in and it also ties in a bit to the excerpt that you read out earlier. So one of the big themes in, in your new book, The Fake Up, is class. It's a sort mm. of Romeo and Juliet where Dylan and Flo come from very different backgrounds and that leads to Dylan not always feeling seen by Flo because mm. she doesn't understand the hardships that he's experienced and, and likewise he doesn't really get um, where she comes from in terms of money as well. Um, so differences in class can often become quite apparent and evident through food whether it's the mm. restaurants we eat at or the words we use for food for example in the in the north of england or at least where i come from i grew up saying tea for the meal that we mm. eat as uh, in the evening that mm. a lot of people call dinner and then we also called lunch dinner mm. so it's very confusing when i moved down to london when i was 18 um what sort of experiences have you had with food and class whether in your dating life or just in everyday life i suppose yeah, interesting what you say about dinner and tea because I just, I just ignored that. I, that's what I used to call them as well, but I, uh, I changed quite purposefully when I left Yorkshire to be like yeah, everybody else. I was very conscious of standing out, of being a northerner. I went to university in the south of England, and I didn't want to stand out, and I didn't want to be a comedy northerner. So I literally changed everything, including my accent, mm. which I'm sure people listening can hear is not a Yorkshire accent. Um, so yeah, with class, what what I find interesting about uh, the way you know class influences food is how within the last decade or so, food that would have been considered junk food and bad is now 
been has now been gentrified and has been made artisanal and you know burgers costing 17 pounds and gordon ramsay opening a street pizza restaurant and you know things like mac and cheese being some delicacy that costs a fortune in in restaurants when you know it used to come out of a tin when i was a kid that kind of oh well you know it's 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 okay to eat this stuff as long as you're paying a fortune for it and you are rich and thin which it bugs me actually it brings out my inner class warrior um I think I noticed it more when I moved to the south of England when people, like you say, used different words for stuff and didn't eat like me. I didn't really know how to cook. I only knew how to make a bolognese, which is obviously the single man's staple. So I kind of had to teach myself, obviously over the phone to my mom asking for advice. Um, and that just I just noticing and mixing with other people from different backgrounds, what they would eat. Uh, introduced me to a lot of new things actually um i was frightened to eat olives for years because i just assumed they were not for the likes of me which is a bizarre thing to think and i remember doing shops when i was at university and buying just stuff i'd seen in my mom's fridge purely because i didn't know any different um i think it can be quite an exposing thing food what you eat uh, about what your background is and how you react to posher food i suppose you know the way you react when you go into a posh restaurant is really such a giveaway about where you're from and i'm always interested to see people who are totally comfortable with that lifestyle but in a way i'm glad i'm not too comfortable with that lifestyle because i think i can appreciate it more you know i have friends who are you know posh i would say and they've just always had this kind of stuff you know I had a friend round one Christmas to my mum's and we kind of had to introduce a starter to our Christmas lunch because we knew that my friend was probably used to that uh, from her <laughs> own Christmases at home. Um, just little things like that, really, just the little differences that can, if you let them, make you feel insecure. Um, but if you fight against it, it, it can broaden your horizons. Yeah, absolutely. Well, very much like the Dylan and Flo meal at Flo's mother's house you know it's it's a real experience yeah and I've been not in that exact situation but I've been like that you know that the old cliche about not knowing which fork to use mm. um is real when you've only ever had one set of cutlery on your table it's start start from the outside no start from I can't remember now start from start with the smallest cutlery is it from the outside or start from outside the inside? in I think yeah I think outside so. in yeah. yeah there we go and do you ever find yourself sort of reclaiming your background? Because I now, um, my my boyfriend is from the Midlands and we now have gone back to saying, well, I don't know if he ever said dinner, but we both now say tea for the meal that we have in the evening. Whereas I did spend the majority of my 20s and 30s calling it dinner because I'd moved to London. Mm. Um, and I don't know if that's just something to do with, you know, now going back to feeling proud of my origins. Whereas perhaps before, like you, maybe I tried to hide it a little bit. I think you do eventually come back round. You realise that it doesn't matter. And you realise that why are you trying to impress people who can't see you anyway or don't care? You'll never change someone's mind by trying to change yourself to be more like them, I don't think, in that, in yeah. that respect. Um, reclaiming it, I don't know, maybe, maybe a, a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a lot less wary of um, you know, buying, buying certain food to impress. I will, I will you know, happily eat stuff from my childhood days more fish fingers i make more fish fingers these days actually forget how fish great fingers. they are yeah a fish finger sandwich is just yeah it's one of the best things you can have I think. yeah really comforting oven chips sometimes can be so comforting i don't know whether it's a childhood thing or a class thing where you were just stopping pretending being someone else for 10 minutes 
Um, but by the same token, I, I love going to, when I can, I love going to ridiculous restaurants and eating yeah. stuff that I would never normally eat at home. Absolutely. Um, so whilst we're speaking now, I, we're on a video call and you're in your kitchen. Like most writers, you work from home. Can mm. we talk for a, for a minute about your writing routine? Um, when you're working in your own kitchen, sometimes there's the temptation to eat all the time. Do you have a particular routine when it comes to writing or working? Um, my routine with writing is get up and sit at my desk as soon as possible before I'm distracted by my sofa, I suppose you could say. Um, with regards to eating, I just, I won't eat until I've, um, had my breakfast and I break for lunch at a set time and I have a cup of tea with one or two malted milk at about 11 o'clock. I'm quite regimented with that. And then in the afternoon, I will have an hour for lunch as well. Like I work in an office unless things are quite hectic and then I, when it comes to cooking, I will, I will stop in the evening. It's kind of, I don't really eat snacks. Um, the one thing I ate a lot of during the writing of my first novel was rye vita. That's mm. my one, my one vice. And I don't think I wrote a lot of my second novel out. Actually, I didn't write it, a lot of it at home, but the fake up was almost totally at home. Uh, actually uh, written in finished off in, in January 2020 uh, written at home uh, again in in a different house but in, uh, in in the living room stroke kitchen but no I, I'm quite good I don't maybe if I'm bored or stuck on a hard sentence I'll wander over to the fridge but my trick with that is don't put anything in it <laughs> so I don't have that much in it by the way of snacks or anything like that right I see I got you discipline mm. yeah all right so now for the quick questions I ask everyone your relationship to food, fuel or pleasure? Both. Sorry, that's a boring answer. It depends no, what okay. mood I'm in. Do you want to explain? Yeah, so I, I love dining out and that kind of thing. But I'm not afraid to have a series of monotonous meals and, and treat it like fuel. I have pretty much the same thing for lunch every day. Uh, and that doesn't really bother me uh, as long as dinner is going to be a bit more interesting. Uh, but then when I'm in a restaurant, I will quite enjoy trying different things and over-ordering maybe sometimes. If, uh, if I have the means. Favourite meal of the day? Breakfast, I think, because it's it's the start. So you've, you don't have the weight of the world on your shoulders quite yet. So yeah, breakfast. I usually have the same breakfast every day as well. Boring. What's that? Uh, at the moment, it is bran flakes with blueberries and banana on top. That's very healthy. And milk, yes. Uh, name one meal that always makes you feel happy. Uh, fish and chips purchased in Yorkshire only i can't do them down here oh god i once said this on twitter as a semi-joke that i could not believe how after living in london for 20 years how bad the fish and chips still were and i was almost dragged through the streets people don't <laughs> like you, it can you describe to anyone who doesn't know what the mm. difference between yorkshire fish and chips are, are from london ones well the major difference is that down here more often than not they, they leave the skin on the fish before they put the batter on, which I find repellent, tastes disgusting. I can't eat it. I can't eat the skin of a fish. Um, there's also something about what they fry them in as well, I think. Uh, it's a bit different. And I, I do find uh, in the south of England, although not just the south of England, actually, but um, in, in, in Yorkshire, it's more common to have a fish and chip shop that pretty much only does fish and chips and not much else, uh, apart from, you know, the usual side orders. Whereas 
in the south of England, especially big cities like London and where I went to university, they would do a, kind of a bit of everything. So they might do kebabs as well, or they might do pizzas as well. And this is a very, my dad thing to say, but he, you know, the focus is not on the fish and chips, probably because <laughs> they sell the least of them because, you know, lots of people love kebabs, but fish and chips isn't as popular as it used to be, I think. So I think that the fish and chips aren't as great when they do other stuff as well. Yeah, that well, that makes total sense. Yeah. One dish that reminds you of family. Yorkshire puddings do, actually. Um, my grandma used to make amazing ones. My mum still does make amazing ones. Um, my dad's mum was, uh, a, you know, she baked a lot and she was really, really, really good. And she taught my mum how to make Yorkshire puddings. Although my her mum's Yorkshire puddings were perfectly fine as well. I think Yorkshire puddings always remind me of family and home and um, I could eat them all day and would if anyone offered me the opportunity to do so. And why not? Yeah. One of, one of my favourite um, childhood food memories is Toad in the Hole, which is, for the international <sighs> list, listener, is basically just a giant Yorkshire pudding in a tray with sausages baked in. Yeah, great. Perfect. One recipe that everyone should know how to cook. You should really know how to make a good bolognese, I suppose. Or shepherd's pie, maybe. Shepherd's pie. I don't know many people that don't love shepherd's pie. It's easy to be hot to get it, to get it wrong. Yeah, I, lo- I love shepherd's pie. I can't think of anything else but shepherd's pie. I quite fancy making one myself. Your best meal ever? Do you know what? Maybe it was for my 30th birthday, my friends uh, took me to the Ivy. It was the first time I'd ever been to the Ivy. And um, although the food in the Ivy is nothing special, in, in fact, is that it's not. The menu is not like wow, or the even the food itself when it arrives is not incredible it's just everything is so nicely done and it just felt like a real moment such a basic thing to say that oh I liked the ivy and I really liked it but I don't care it was a it was a really lovely meal that's all I can think of it's the experience there as well and that would have been the ivy in its original form I think wouldn't it because now it's kind of expanded and gone more chain like exactly yeah they uh it was the original one uh in Covent Garden were there any celebs there at the time I don't think so. I was kind of hoping I would see Joan Collins because she's always in there, but uh, sadly not on this occasion, on that occasion anyway. Are you pals with Joan Collins these days? <laughs> no, but she'd read my first book and really liked it apparently. Which is I, amazing. I, I has she read that. The Fake Up? Um, I don't know, but I'm, I'm hoping to get her a copy. I named I named a dog in the second book after her. Oh, amazing. <laughs> uh, no feedback on that yet or or indeed on the fake up so goodness knows what she thinks i'm sure she's gonna love it absolutely um finally some food for thought what is the one piece of advice you would give to anyone in terms of food and dating um as soon as you can excuse yourself to check your teeth so that you don't leave anything behind for the inevitable snog and please if you can no onions no onions you heard it mm. here first thank you so much justin it's been such a joy um hearing you talk about your dating experiences and i absolutely can't wait for everyone to get their hands on the fake up thank you very much if you enjoyed my interview with justin myers be sure to buy his book the fake up which is out now and do also follow him on instagram and twitter at the guyliner i'll put those links in the show notes You can also pre-order my debut novel, Single Bald Female, which is out next week, the 14th of April in the UK. 
Inspired by my experience of being diagnosed with breast cancer when I was 29 years old, it explores themes of love, friendship, loss and dating. And there's even a foodie storyline in there too. You can pre-order it from your local independent bookshop or from any online retailer and I would be so delighted if you'd let me know what you think. If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit the subscribe button, give it a rating and share it with your friends as it will really help me to keep interviewing incredible people like Justin. You can also follow me on Instagram at Laura Price Writes, where you'll find more information about my debut novel as well as upcoming episodes of this podcast. Thank you for listening to Life in Food with Laura Price. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.